Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Next week is National Signing Day and things have changed with what once was a red-letter day for college football fans. It's still big, but with the early signing period now in December, it's not going to be what it used to be. Shemi Schembechler will join us on this week's game day segment to discuss how he is still involved with recruiting, Michigan's latest class, and in general, the state of Michigan football. First, a few news and notes to get us started. John Beeline and his team got it out a tough win on Monday night over Northwestern 58-47 at Chrysler. We had trouble with the Northwestern zone early, but played great defense and finally got the offense in gear in the second half. Charles Matthews led the way with 14 points, while Abdur Rahman chipped in 11. We shot 21 of 50 from the field, 41%, and a dismal 7 of 25 from behind the arc. With the win, we moved to 18 and 6 overall, 7 and 4 in the Big Ten. We'll have a break of sorts before we get started on that final seven-game stretch in February, leading up to the Big Ten tourney at Madison Square Garden. We will be back in action at home on Saturday against Minnesota. Shemi Schembechler has been around football all of his life. You know who his dad was. But after college, he was a grad assistant at Michigan, then went on to a 17-year career in the NFL as a scout and talent evaluator. Three years ago, Shemi founded GES Advisory. He evaluates high school players and helps them and their parents understand what it will take to succeed playing college football physically, emotionally, and most importantly, academically. We'll hear more about that and, of course, get his thoughts on what's happening with his friend Jim Harbaugh and his beloved Wolverines. That's next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Back with us on our game day segment this week to talk recruiting and football and a lot of other stuff is Shemi Schembechler. We all know about Shemi. We know about his career in the NFL, now president of GES Advisory. And Shemi, just for the sake of those who uh, maybe haven't heard you in the past, can you give us an update? Tell the folks about GES Advisory and what it does. Yeah, so so Mike, I, I, I always... Uh, appreciate your time and getting me on the show. And, and uh, so what we've done since I left the NFL, I started this company in 2015 with the sole purpose of really enhancing the recruiting process and finding the best fit for all the student athletes to find the best college for them. So what I've done is I've literally uh, applied the NFL scouting model to truly evaluate uh, players on game film to make sure that we understand their talent and then we understand what they're doing academically to find the very best college institution that's befitting of their talent. And so it, it, the, the process is uh, solely intended to save time, money, and energy for the parents and the kids so that they truly know what the recruiting landscape and how it's going to fit for them. So with that said, you know, we've, we've, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised of the success that we've had early on. Uh, obviously, coming in here into year three, 
Uh, we've expanded to 20 states. We got well over 100 plus prospects. And uh, so far, it, it, it's been a really nice process, not only for them, but especially for me, because it allows me to do what I really enjoy doing, and that's breaking down game film and getting to know these parents and these kids to really find the best school for them. Well, on the GES advisory website, it says something I like, Shemi. The goal of this program is to provide clear advice to high school players and their families that will assist them in making the best choice of a college or university. And that entails a four-pronged process, evaluation, report, coaching, and networking. Can you talk about that process and how it works? Yeah. So what we do is once we get uh, a family on board, uh, I meet with them, whether it's on the phone or in person, depending on where they're located geographically. And this is kind of where our partners come in. And once I get to know where the kid is, and and just from a maturity standpoint, academic, I want to find out as much as I can about that young person. And we actually get them measured out with verified measurables, which the college coaches really appreciate. And that's part of the NFL scouting model. And I sit down and I break down uh, high school game film, which is the best evaluation tool there is, and literally write reports that include strong points, weak points, and the summation, which pr- provides a really good, good uh, detailed uh, report of their ability. And that report uh, g- gets networked amongst every college program in the United States of America, ranging from Division One all the way down to D3 and NAIA. And the coaches love it because they're getting an accurate evaluation of the players, that, and they're going to know what's coming through the door. And it just makes them comfortable with the own evaluation process. When they do their own diligence, it, 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 it provides great context for them. And uh, so those reports get sent out on a pretty regular basis. I spend a lot of time on the phone talking with coaches uh, and, and parents and kids to make sure that they are up to date in regards to what happens next, understanding the NCAA recruiting guidelines and the calendar. And it's a very comprehensive process. And so I make myself available to all of our kids and all of our uh, families to make sure that their questions are getting answered efficiently. And uh, uh, so that's really it, you know, and and we spend a lot of time breaking down film. We spend a lot of time uh, uh, communicating with our kids, letting them know what they need to do to advance their game and to keep track of what they're doing academically so that we can really uh, understand where they are, where they need to go, and to find the best fit academically for them. Because to me, that's by far the most important thing in all this, is uh, uh, to get them into a program, an academic program, that they can get a great degree and and, and basically uh, start in the early stages of a great career once they graduate. When they're hearing you talk about what you do, some people might be saying, hey, isn't that what recruiting coordinators do at the at the big universities? That same kind of a process. Would you agree or disagree with that? I would agree for the most part. But the one thing that the college coaches, and this is very true uh, to Power Five or have you, uh, how many of them have a long career of evaluating talent in the NFL? There's always something that I'm going to bring to their attention that they didn't quite think about. And so the fact that we spend so much time evaluating players and talent, we're very confident in our ability uh, uh, to really nail that talent and to understand how that talent can be developed. And uh, one of the biggest problems that college coaches have in recruiting coordinators is either they don't have quite the experience to evaluate talent effectively, and number two, do they have time to break down the game film? And so that's really what our remedy is, 
And the fact that we've been able to place a lot of our kids at the Power Five conference level based on the evaluation tools, uh, it's proven to be effective because the college coaches are listening. Did that answer your question, Mike? That did. Yeah. That's exactly what I was getting at. The, the time issues, thing, <laughs> and I, I know you're right. And bringing yep. that NFL expertise, huge. Uh, that's something that yep. most programs just don't get. But right. Exactly. National Signing Day almost here, Shemi, and uh, it's very different this year with the early signing period in December. So I suppose we don't know yep. uh, how that's going to impact the traditional signing day. It's a new process. Do you think it's a good thing? I think overall it's a it, it, it's good for the most part. Okay, it does provide challenges for college coaches. But the thing that I've found fascinating, and I can't say that I'm shocked in all honesty, is was when you look at uh, the classes that are signed in that early signing date in December, mm-hmm. uh, 90% of those classes are completed. And, and if you talk to the majority of college coaches, they, by and large, are in favor of it, particularly the assistants, because what it does, it allows them to put that recruiting class to bed and to start focusing on the class of 2019. So it literally gives them more time to evaluate those players and to get out and visit those kids of the 2019 class. And basically it moves up the entire recruiting calendar for the benefit, not only for the coaches, but for the kids too. And I think it's great having that early signing day because a lot of these kids, and I think the 90% plus uh, percentage of signees uh, really proves of, of how ready and mature most of these kids are to know what they want to do and know where they want to go. So I think it serves both of them pretty well. Now, if you're at a college program uh, that has not had great success and the college coach is under uh, some stress, you might get fired, which happens a lot these days, Mike. There are challenges that come with that, but I think all that does is create the uh, the inevitable competitiveness of how important it is to win in today's college football environment so that you can uh, maintain that fluid recruiting process and not get interrupted by having to fire a coach, hire a new staff, and start the recruiting process over. You're in touch with it all the time. and It's become yes, such a huge business over the last decade. Uh, those of us who have a few uh, miles under the hood have seen it change dramatically in our lifetime. Do coaching staffs yep. put any credence in what these services are reporting as far as the star systems? Just a little bit, okay? And I don't want to besmirch what they do, Okay. But it takes a lot to get a college coach's attention. And, and that, that's part of why our program has been, had the success that we've had is the fact that we have the listening ear of the coaching community. And if you don't have that as a recruiting surface, it proves to be very inefficient. Okay. The fact that we leverage the tape study, the reports, the accurate reports, the accurate measurables, that is what creates governance amongst the college community. And that's why they listen to what we're doing. Not everybody can do that. And so it's a little bit unfair. And uh, for those other programs that attempt to, to place their kids in the best place possible. But um, the fact that we really care about all the kids that we're evaluating and, and to really be honest and upfront with them, uh, this is what really allows our program to be efficient. And in all honesty, you can't say that about all the other services, and they're they're going to remain nameless in this conversation, okay, Mike? Because I don't like throwing other people under the bus, okay? 
No, I hear you. But the one facet of what you do, Shemi, that I find all important Mm -hmm. and and very different is the academic prong. We don't talk about that in recruiting nearly enough. But I think in the Big Ten, we take pride in graduation rates for football. There is that emphasis on academics in this conference. But, and this is the cynic in me, do you think that emphasis is lacking in other parts of the country? And I won't mention them. Well, I think I, I think we'd be lying to say if that wasn't the case. Okay, there is plenty of programs, and we're not going to name some of these conferences and, and these leagues that literally uh, put their student athletes in a situation where it becomes football first and athletics first and academics second. And uh, those programs know exactly who they are. But I think the true mark of the greatest programs, and this is where parents and kids really need to evaluate those situations uh, very closely, is to know what has happened to those kids that have come out of those schools and what are they doing from a career standpoint that goes way beyond the game. And that's what I always tell my parents and my kids to say, you know, what, what school and institution and major that you can major in that's going to set you up for the rest of your life once the game is over and make no mistake, Mike, the game ends for everybody. Okay. Amen. And so uh, the bottom line is you have to be prepared for when that day comes and make no mistake, everybody, you know, you, you, uh, the oppor- opportunity to play in the national football league or the NBA or any professional league that you have, uh, that's great. We want those kids to be motivated to try to achieve those goals, but, uh, I've seen way too many horror stories of guys in the NFL that end up uh, dead broke, and they actually end up in worse financial situation than even before they got to the NFL. And so this is why we talk about academics and careers and things like that. You know, I had a great conversation uh, with John Colasar the other day, and he, we've got Caden in, in our system. And uh, it, it's just fascinating to me when we study programs uh, that are befitting for the great kid that Caden Colasar is. And it's almost like we're really thinking outside the box of, uh, we love football. We love to play football, but we want to have something that's going to set us up for uh, success afterwards. So Caden literally just got back from West Point over the weekend and what an unbelievable experience it was for him and his mom and I don't think people realize of how valuable the degree is for, from from the uh, from West Point, the military academy, mm-hmm. because all those kids they all end up being successful. I mean, they have their pick of the litter, whatever job they want to go get, and even many of the their players have been fortunate to make it in the NFL. But make no mistake, uh, you talk about developing a career, and if you're comfortable with the military commitment to go that route. Uh, uh, that's going to be a, a, a track that it's going to be hard for you to fail. I remember back to uh, the days when, when your dad was coaching and he would be asked just about every year, what did you think of this recruiting class? And, and his answer, <laughs> as far as I remember, was always the same. I'll tell you in four years. Right, we, yeah. We know it's changed. Uh, right. Your dad retired in the years. Right. Uh, it is a right. whole different ballgame now. Well, it is. I mean, I think kids, uh, the priority of going somewhere to play, to get an opportunity to play, has become a little bit overbearing, okay? Uh, and Bo is exactly right. And I think, you know, and I tell, I, I, I say the same thing, but I actually say, you're going to know in three years what a recruiting class looks like. Mm-hmm. I think, and this is part of what we do at GES, I go, we want to find a place that you're going to go and excel at. 
and be there for four or five years or what have you so that you are positioned to get a degree, but also have a great experience playing on the field. And I think there are a multitude of mistakes, and this happens a lot with quarterbacks, is they get into a situation where they go to a place not understanding what the depth chart looks like. And the next thing you know, they're transferring because they never got that opportunity, okay? Um, and this is not to say anything horrible about Michigan, but look at the quarterback that transferred, had to go to Central Michigan as a one-year starter, as a grad transfer, because he couldn't get on the field at Michigan. That's going to be a successful career, but this happens all the time for guys that are freshmen and sophomores, and they decide to pull the plug early because they're not going to see the field, and I think that's a problem. Les Miles uh, did an interview recently, I think it was last week in in Land of Ten, uh, Shemi, that I found uh, really interesting, and he was asked about Michigan. Michigan, and he said Mm -hmm. he thinks Michigan needs to use the SEC model, like it or not, and that's what he said, to get the program back to elite status. What do you think he means by that? I think I think he wants Michigan to win (laughs) as as much as anybody. Okay, and obviously this is a little bit of a different conversation because you're looking at the team dynamic as opposed to the individual player, but. I think, you know, and this is part of what, and and this, my opinion is a little bit in the minority, all right, Mm -hmm. because I think what the NCAA has done is force college programs to, to really hustle up the process by limiting the scholarship numbers to 85. And what that does is it forces you to not redshirt as often. If a kid is ready to play, he's going to get out and play. And I think that that's that pressure and that takeaway of not having time to develop players as opposed to uh, putting players in early because you need them to win. I think that's where the struggle is today. Okay. Now, less in many ways is very correct. Okay. The SEC model, and I think Nick Saban has proven that uh, year in and year out, look at what the guys at the University of Georgia and what they're doing. Uh, They do have a system in place, and if you look at – and so my last year in the NFL, I consulted for the Seahawks. You know, you go down to evaluate the Alabama Crimson Tide and how they rotate those defensive linemen. I would say, uh, in the end, probably, Nick, every single defensive lineman that plays on that team, I would say maybe 10% of them get redshirted. And they get those kids early because they run those seven- and eight-man rotation systems, and that's what's made them really good. But at the same time, you know, you don't have that luxury of developing players and having that redshirt year, which has proven to be so valuable. This, in many ways, is what made uh, my dad and Woody Hayes uh, very successful when they coached. You have to do that at some level based on the environment that we have. Uh, and I think that's just the nature of the beast these days. Oh, I agree. I, it is. These kids are uh, coming in. We saw here at Michigan last year how many of these kids got on the field. It's uh, more and more every right. year, it seems. Right. No doubt about it. And so you, you know, you're losing that redshirt year, which I think, which I think uh, and if my father were here today, he would absolutely tell you just how valuable that redshirt year is because when you come in as a true freshman to any program or university, uh, there is definitely a certain uh, time time uh, uh, time frame that requires acclimation for these young 17 and 18 year old kids that have never been away from home in many cases, 
and it requires a, a high level of maturation and ability to handle adversity. And so one of the things my dad always said, let's get your feet wet. Let's focus on just practicing and not having to prepare for a game. Go down on the scout team, and we're going to do a great job academically to get the best possible foot forward initially so that you uh, can make standard progress towards your degree. And I think when you don't redshirt players, I think that – uh, makes it a struggle for those young men that are not emotionally ready to do that. Well, Shami, closer to home uh, on our staff uh, here in Ann Arbor, we've seen a fair share of turnover. I think that's safe to say during the first three right. years under Jim. Is right. That, is that what's expected or do we need more continuity on that staff? People staying longer? Uh I would say continuity, uh, no matter what the coaching staff is, is always good. Okay. And, and this is what, I mean, when my dad was coaching and I, I think what he and Woody did was so monumental in, in terms of developing coaches is, uh, he would bring guys on the staff and those guys would stay long. They would learn how to run a program. They would learn how to become a head coach just by watching Bo on a daily basis. And 90% of the coaches that left Michigan left to become a head coach because they were ready. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think obviously the coaching landscape is changing an awful lot, but I think the continuity and the coaching staff does play a critical role, uh, not only uh, for those coaches themselves, but I think the recruiting process plays a huge role in that as well, because everybody talks about the whole building of the relationship between the player and the coach, so that they can actually bring a player to come play for them, and the coaches play a huge role in regards to how a kid makes a decision. Now, uh, that can be construed as right or wrong because you want these kids to make a decision based on the academic institution that they're going to and not necessarily the coach. But I think everybody knows and understands that the coach plays a huge role in uh, how these kids make decisions and their opportunity to play and things like that. That does concern me a little bit, but all that does is to say that those universities and those programs it actually helps you in recruiting when you have coaches that stay over a long period of time because it helps in recruiting. All, all I know is my dad hired great coaches in all 28 years of his coaching career, and those guys stayed for a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. Bill McCartney was on was on his staff for six, seven years, uh, well, actually longer than that, and he's in the Hall of Fame, and he never took a lateral job. The first job he took after leaving both staff was, was a head coach. Mm-hmm. And so you can't blame those guys. I think the problem that you face in today's environment is there's so many different steps in the coaching profession now. So if you're a position coach and you want to go be an offensive coordinator, well, I would I would say to you that that is more of a lateral move than anything else. To me, uh, if you go to a great coaching staff and you learn how to become a head coach, you just stay on that staff and get promoted from within if need be. But the truth of the matter is it's the head coach that really is imperative in developing the head coaching acumen for all the guys that leave. And I think that's more important than just seeking the next step. National Signing Day, as we've been talking about, that's going to be uh, by the by here in just uh, a couple of weeks. Then we're going to start thinking about spring practice getting underway. Really not that far away. Right. A lot to work on. There is a lot to work on every spring, uh, but especially right. this year. Shami, what do you consider job number one? 
for Michigan to accomplish? You know, I'm encouraged uh, with our depth and the talent that we have on the defensive side of the ball. The fact that we've got uh, predominantly most of our defensive roster back with the starters. We're returning nine out of 11 starters on defense. And I think that uh, provides a great prognosis for how we're going to compete and and have a chance to win a Big Ten championship. And if there's one thing that my dad and I thoroughly believe in is that if you have a great defense, you have a main recipe to give you a chance to win to win the league. Because, and I'm going to go back to an old theory, Mike, is that they will always say that offense can win the games, but defense wins championships. And that's going to be true down through the years. I think Nick Saban has proven that, absolutely, with what he's been able to do at Alabama. So I feel good about what we, where we are over there. Uh, and obviously on the offensive side, where we've struggled a little bit over the last couple of years, we need to develop some continuity in the offensive line. I think uh, uh, as I look at our talent and where we are on the Michigan roster, I actually feel really good about our, our interior offensive line. I think the challenge is going to be who's going to fill in and play tackle. I think one of the most important guys that we're going to have to track through the spring and the summer is going to be Grant Newsom to see how he comes off of that uh, catastrophic knee injury he had back in 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can get him back, because I think, you know, when I had a chance to watch him, you know, he's got all the tools to play in the National Football League before the injury. So the key is, is how is he going to recover from that? How close is he going to be to where he was before the injury? And uh, I think if we can establish uh, that left tackle position and find a remedy for the right tackle, and I know Coach Drebno and, and Jim have, have spoken very heartedly about the depth that they have for the guys that haven't quite seen the field that are coming off a redshirt year, uh, that we are going to have an answer for right tackle. And uh, once we get that remedy, and obviously everybody's looking at the quarterback but if there's one thing that I know about quarterbacks is it's better when they stay healthy. You know how they stay healthy, Mike? Offensive line. So it's always going to start up front. All right. Everybody likes, likes to talk about Shea Patterson. Is he eligible or not? I think if we get our offensive line situated and we give our quarterbacks the time and the running attack to be really effective in the play action system, which is critical. Uh, I think the quarterback situation will take care of itself in the end as long as we have continuity and we can have a guy that we can rely on through the entire season and not go through our depth chart. The quarterback situation, of course, fans you know are going to be watching Mm -hmm. that more closely than anything uh, come spring practice. Because that's what fans do, right, Mike? Yep. It's good. We're going to have competition in the spring. Do you think it's important that a quarterback take the lead in spring, or is it just fine if the competition runs right into camp? I think with where we are for the quarterback position, it's still a little bit of a fluid situation. I mean, I remember <clears throat> I remember when Chad Henney became the starter as a true freshman in the very first game. Uh, I remember, I can't remember who got hurt before that. It might have been Dreisbach or somebody like that. I can't quite remember. It's Gutierrez. But the fact, who was it? Gutierrez. Oh, that's right. Matt Gutierrez, the De La Salle flash. I remember him well. I just think... You know, it all comes back to coaching, and you got to have faith in the coaching staff and the ability to develop quarterbacks. I think Jim has proven that down through the years. Um, I just think these guys have been in the system for long enough from a depth standpoint to understand what's required. And so if, it, if it's Shea Patterson, if it's Dylan McCaffrey, if it's the, uh, the Milton kid c- coming in from Florida early to go through spring football – 
as long as those kids can stand back there and make good decisions and just use their God-given talent to be able to make plays, uh, I think you're going to find a model that is going to be similar to what Urban Meyer has down here, uh, down at Ohio State, because it always seems he always has that backup quarterback ready. And uh, I think as long as those kids have been in the system for as long as they've had, they're going to have a legitimate chance to be productive as long as we get the offensive line situation taken care of. In August, when you were on one of our preview shows, Shemi, uh, you said from a talent perspective that we were closing the gap on Ohio State. We weren't there yet, but close. Do you still feel that way? At some level. um, And don't take this the wrong way, Mike. All right. (laughs) I've seen Ohio State play. I watch them on a regular basis. I know exactly how they practice. They are amongst the best in college football developing players. And I think Urban has done a brilliant job by really going out and going to get the Greg Schiano's of the world. And that this is nothing bad to say about Don Brown, but the way they practice and the way they prepare with the talent that they have, it, it's no mistake that they've had uh, the great success that they've had winning the Big Ten Conference, but also sending players in the National Football League. They've proven that. And I just think uh, that's a standard that is very hard to come by. And I think that's the challenge that we have as Michigan uh, with the Michigan program to be able to to catch up with that. I think it can be done, but the whole idea is we need to beat them. All right. If we can beat them on the field and really derive that into our recruiting efforts, we're going to catch up with them in a hurry. But I think we got to, I think young kids, when they look at how to evaluate programs, they're still going to go for the guys that are the winner. All right. Mm -hmm. And I think once we get, once we realize that goal of what it means to beat a Notre Dame this year and a Michigan state and Ohio state and to beat them on a semi-regular basis, because the recruiting will result from that. Uh, Obviously I'm, I'm very dated in my history with this series, (laughs) But if you talk to any of the guys that played for Bo that watched that 1969 upset against Ohio State, uh, 90% of them would say that's why they chose Michigan because of that game. And I think we should always remember that. You've known Jim Harbaugh for a long time, Shemmy, and you know Since that. I was four. Right. <laughs> and you also yep. know he fully understood the expectations of when he took this job. I mean, he played sure. here. Yeah. Now he's back. Yeah. It's been three years. Yep. As, as you know, yep. we all get to talk to alums and fans, and some of the right. faithful are getting, let's just say, a wee bit nervous after three years. It's only the reality, Mike, okay? Yeah. You know, and I'll say this. We have Jim going into year four. Uh, My dad, when he took the Michigan job, uh, one of the first things he asked Don Canham is, actually Don Canham asked him, how much time do you need? And my dad said five years. Mm -hmm. And I think we should hold dear to that uh, time frame to develop a program. And I think Jim's players are getting developed in the right way We've been so close in beating these these teams that we need to beat on a regular basis. So we had some injury problems last year. We had to run through our depth chart, uh, not only from the offensive line, but from the quarterback position. I think durability is going to play a big role in this. And, and I will say this, the fact that Jim would go out and hire a Ben Herbert, 
who I actually have followed all his entire career as a strength and conditioning coach. I actually scouted him when he was playing a one shade technique on the defensive line at Wisconsin. Okay. So I've known Ben Herbert for a very long time. I think he is an excellent hire. And uh, I honestly believe that is going to be the one hire that's going to drive this ship forward more so than what it has been in the past. As far as being a pivotal year for Jim and the program, is this any more important than any other big year for Michigan football? I think I think every year is important mm-hmm. in Michigan football. And uh, obviously with the type of attention that the Michigan program has, uh, with the alumni base and the support that we have, not only from uh, people all over the world. I mean, people ask me down here about Michigan football, and these are the Ohio State fans. So the fact that, that there's an expectation of what that program should be and how competitive we should be within the Big Ten Conference as well as the national landscape, uh, I don't think anybody is under any illusions about what the expectations are at Michigan. I don't think there's anybody that knows that better than Jim is, is uh, when, you're, when you're building a program and you're relying on the talent and the development of kids between the age of 18 and 22, mm-hmm. uh, that's a challenge. No matter where you are, Urban has the same challenge down here at Ohio State, is how do you get the most out of those kids to get them ready to play on each and every Saturday so that uh, they can be consistent and they can be tough and physical and to be the type of team that – Uh, is going to compete for the championship every year. has its challenges, but it can be done. Well, final question, Mm -hmm. Shemi, and I I get this one every week from Michigan fans uh, asking me the same Mm -hmm. thing. Can I see Jim getting frustrated uh, with coaching at his alma mater and walking away? My answer is always the same. I say, no, I do not see that. He's a competitor, and I don't think he would go anywhere until he wins championships, beats Ohio State, and gets his program back to winning. Yeah, you feel that same way too. Well, I, I think I think we have to look at it as our program. All right, and uh, if if you make it about the team and not one singular person, I think Jim would say the same thing. Is yes, uh, I don't see Jim going anywhere. Uh, there is a reason why he came to Michigan. Number one, he's a Michigan man to begin with. He played. Uh, under my father, who is still regarded as one of the greatest coaches in, in college football history, there's a governance behind that. And I think, Jim, once he turns things around, which I believe that he will, uh, uh, people are going to look back on these first three or four years and to know that it was absolutely worth it to go through the struggles that we've had. And uh, I, I think with Jim coming back into the Big Ten Conference, having been gone for such a long period of time, you know, he's got an understanding for what the league's all about now. And you don't learn that overnight. Um, I think one of the advantages that, that Urban had coming down here to Ohio State, you know, he is always coached within this world of recruiting. And I think with Jim, it's taken a little bit longer because he was in the NFL and he was coaching the Pac-10. Uh, it's a different world when you're out here in the Big Ten Conference and the SEC and preparing those programs. And I think Jim, uh, at some point soon, is going to hit his stride to understand what has to happen in the recruiting to get the best players that we can and to develop those players, uh, understanding what the Ohio States and the Michigan States and the Notre Dames are doing 
uh, so that you can be competitive. Well, my guest today has been Shemi Beckler, and as always, Shemi, uh, you're a breath of fresh air. My listeners love hearing what you have to say, and we uh, wish you all the best with your outstanding work at GES Advisory. I just really love what, what you guys do. It's, uh, it's something that's much needed, so keep up the good work, and we'll get you back here on the show soon. God bless you, Mike. Always appreciate your time. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. On Quick Hits today, senior Caitlin Flaherty was named to the Big Ten Player of the Week honor roll after putting together another pair of 20-point games in two Michigan wins. In U of M's 74-48 win over Michigan State, Flaherty went for 26 points on 9-4-14 shooting and 6 assists. She followed that up with a 27.6 assist performance at Northwestern on Sunday. Flaherty shot nearly 70% from 3-point range on the week, hitting 9-14 of 14 shots from behind the arc. She also made the top 10 list for the Lieberman Award, given to the nation's top point guard. Coach Barnes-Arico and her 13th-ranked team will be at home to take on Purdue on Thursday, then hit the road for Jersey and a Sunday matchup with Rutgers. They are 19-4 overall, 8-2 in the Big Ten, and one game behind first-place Maryland heading into this week's action. Number 17 Michigan hockey fell to number 6 Ohio State 5-3 Saturday night at Value City Arena. The Buckeyes shut out Michigan on Friday night to sweep the weekend series. Michigan will return home to face Wisconsin on Friday and Saturday at Red Berenson Rink at Yost Ice Arena. The Wolverines tied and lost a game when they played the Badgers in Madison earlier this season. Puck drop is scheduled for 7.30 p.m. both nights. Michigan is 12-12-2 overall, 7-9-2 in the Big Ten. The number 17-ranked University of Michigan wrestling team claimed each of the last four matches, a race to 10-point deficit, and rallied past number 4 Iowa, 19-17 19-17 on Saturday evening in front of a crowd of 10,418 at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. It was the Wolverines' first win in Iowa City since 2005 and snapped a nine-match Hawkeye win streak in the series. The Wolverines are 8-2 overall, 5-1 in the Big Ten, and will kick off a four-meet homestand this Friday, hosting Nebraska at 7 p.m. at Cliff Keen Arena. Softball is practicing and will open the season a week from Friday, believe it or not, down in Tampa at the Wilson D. Marini Tournament. Baseball will get their season started the next week down in Port St. Lucie with a four-game weekend series against Army. Thanks again to Shemi Schembechler for being with us this week. Next week, it's back to Hoops Talk. We hope to have Brendan Quinn from the Athletic Detroit on with us, so make sure you join us. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, both at The Michigan Man. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or comment on the show. That will do it for another week. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until we meet again, have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. 
That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!